This is Robert Marglacci, the Mindshare Learning Report, Canada's Learning and Technology e-magazine. And welcome to This Week in Canadian EdTech, Mindshare TV podcast with my guest, Dennis Roach, who is the co-founder of Burio Calendar on the secrets to Canadian EdTechs tapping into ESSER funding three grants in, in the U.S. Um, it's... Uh, been a bit of a mystery for many folks and a lot of misconceptions and we're looking forward to Dennis uh, providing them more clarity on that. Dennis, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me on. A little bit about Dennis. He's a business builder with extensive experience in startup and high growth environments. Track records include starting and scaling businesses through organic growth and acquisitions, digital innovation, running operations, monetizing new media platforms, fundraising, and multiple company exits. As a co-founder, become a hyper-local event content subscription product serving media companies, digital platforms, and local uh, communities. Specialties include startups, digital media, business development, fundraising, social media, and mobile. Wow, uh, you're at the forefront of innovation, my friend. Uh, I feel like uh, we're in good company. Well, you know, it, during during when COVID hit, Burbio was gathering uh, local data around community events. And this was now three years ago. And we started leaning really hard into business intelligence at that point because community life, which we were measuring, uh, was suspended or went away completely. And we started digging into whether schools were open particularly in the United States. And we became the only service that measured that. And we've since, since leaned into measuring school finance and school spending, which uh, because what this talk is about. So we have to work with everyone from the federal government to consulting firms like McKinsey, as well as plenty of suppliers. And our core expertise when COVID hit was we were really good at going to super local websites and sources to find hard to find information. And we need, we've been able to deploy that against the education space, particularly education spending. Amazing. Uh, so let's um, talk a little bit about, you know, the impact of COVID and uh, the stimulus funding is what Esther was intended for. Perhaps you can expand on and unpack uh, the acronym ESSER uh, and three, the meaning of that, just for the benefit of uh, our viewers. So ESSER stands for Elementary and Secondary School Emergency Relief. And ESSER 1 and ESSER 2 were part of very big federal stimulus packages that occurred during the Trump administration. They totaled a little less, about a little less than $70 billion. And most of that money, almost all of it has been spent already by schools. And it was spent to get schools open with a lot of COVID mitigation and some technology investments as well. But it was very, that money is out the door. And ESSER 3, which is what we're really talking about, was a part of the first big stimulus that passed under President Biden in March of 2021. That was called the American Rescue Plan. So sometimes you might see ARP money, stands for American Rescue Plan, used sort of alternately with ESSER 3. ESSER 3 right. is $122 billion, and the districts have three years to spend it. And it was sent to districts based on what's called Title I. Many of you viewers probably know what that is. It's money 
It, it's basically students who are eligible, who are or lower income. So districts with a higher number of students in uh, Title I would get more money than districts that didn't. So that's how the money was given out, and districts have three years to spend it. And so what are the spending pockets or limitations? Is it yes. so, so wide open? Of it, yeah. yeah, no, it's not. 20% of it was required. A couple of things were interesting about this. 20% of it was required to be spent on academic recovery. Okay. And a couple of other things that are interesting. One, the districts by statute had to post their plans. So all of the districts had to actually... Uh, they were supposed to consult with the public too. Many of them did. Some might think they should have post, should have should have consulted more. But there were board meetings. It was approved, and they did post it. And that's where we got the information. So we have been scouring these districts because that's what we were doing during COVID: scouring these districts for information. And we started compiling these plans. So we have three years to spend the money. We have three years to spend the money. And I do want to spend a moment on why we are where we are with spending, because there's been a lot of Sort of, I, I can't really tell because we're so close to it, but there's been sort of narratives floating around about whether districts should have spent the money faster or whether it's been spent or not, et cetera. So picture the timeline. March 2021, the, the, the legislation's passed. It's still the summer, summer 2021, districts find out how much money they actually have officially. Fall of 2021, now we're barely a year ago, a little over a year ago, they designed their plans. They're not just going to run around and spend it. They got to design the plans. They got to get it approved by the states. Now, the money was sent to the districts with a lot of flexibility, which was really kind of good and interesting, but they couldn't just spend it. They had to go to the state. So they go to the state and then they post the plans. Now it's October, November, December. Guess what? It's Omicron time. Okay. And many of these districts have just gotten open in person. Places like California and New York, they really never were open the previous year and certainly not every day. So now all of a sudden it's the middle of Omicron and we're in the middle of a labor shortage because finding teachers and substitutes and in some days they had 10, 20 So at that moment, are they gonna are they gonna launch new programs with this ESSER money? Or are they just gonna try and keep their schools functioning? Right. Many, many kids were so many pressures. So basically spending really didn't start of this 100 percent pie in terms of percentages, didn't really start until the spring. It made perfect sense to us having watched this dynamic that they would start spending the money last spring and into the summer. And now on balance, the districts have spent a little less than 30% of the money that they've been, they've been allocated. They are accelerating how fast they're going to spend it gradually, as you would expect. And they have until September 2024 to spend it, which is almost two years away, 19 months away. So How, we are how large is the volume? What is the overall amount? Well, the overall amount, so, in, so, so it was $122 billion. And for wow. perspective, U.S. education, depending on the numbers you see, spends somewhere between seven and $800 billion a year. Now, of that $122 billion, $110 of it, 90%, was sent straight to districts. So the governors couldn't get their hands on it. And I right. think it's sort of bipartisan agreement. The bipartisan agreement was, isn't it good that it goes right to the district so governors can't start holding on to it and then saying, oh, you got to do this in order to get it. No, they got the money directly. They had to get plans approved. So $110 billion spread over three years. And then the, and the, district, the states do have, they have $12 billion of it, and they deploy it to districts too, and they are. 
So if you take the yeah. overall number of 120 and you say, all right, they're going to spend it on average over three years, that's roughly 40 billion. And we know they're back ending, it's backloaded a bit. But you, know, you take 40 billion or so over 700, 800 billion a year, it's certainly on top of just a 5% bump in spending for three years. And it's actually higher than that in many bigger districts because, again, it was it was allocated based on what's called Title I, which, which is underprivileged kids, essentially. And they have a higher number of those at some of the bigger districts, some of the city districts, et cetera. So, so this is a 5 to 10%, in some cases, even 15% operating expense increase in the year we are here and into next year as well. And talk to me about uh, some of the common themes that you see in, as far as what they've been spending their money on. Yeah, so the, so the biggest dis, the big, biggest area is academic recovery. So okay. uh, of the almost six of the almost six thousand districts that we have seen uh, spending on on things, you have over uh, one thousand districts. Thousands of districts are spending on tutoring. Just spending on after school, we what's sort of broadly called extended day programs, like after school, right. summer school programs. All of those involve purchasing services, everything from tutoring programs to STEM to academic uh, materials and curriculum. Uh, that is a very big initiative. Then you've got all sorts of technology tools that are being uh, purchased, infrastructure and uh, play, uh, uh, issue, uh, tech tools that make remote learning uh, more accessible. And uh, so those are big areas. Another big areas are things like school security. Um, things like attendance and engagement is a big category. Obviously, right. STEM programs, math ELA. So it really runs. It really runs a, a, a sort of a typical gamut of if you were starting from scratch trying to solve learning recovery, what would you do? So right. we see a very big bucket in that. That is by far the biggest bucket. There also is a big bucket of infrastructure, HVAC, and uh, furniture and construction projects. One of the ideas behind the the issue was to make learning in a in a sort of a COVID environment safer. So you have air quality and spacing and infrastructure upgrades. So there's a decent amount of that as well. But mm -hmm. the bulk of it goes to academic recovery programs as well as staffing programs that support them. And talk to me about emerging patterns that you've seen and how are what is the process like for edtechs to garner uh the, uh, the opportunity one of the opportunities is obviously this is listen this is what we do so full disclosure we're a little bit mm -hmm. biased on it but these plans were put on the school websites district websites and so if you know what the district says they're going to do with the money, you can target the kinds of initiatives that uh, that we're, to who might be interested in buying your product. And there is, in aggregate, I mean, you can roll up the numbers, but there is variability between different districts and how they're approaching things. So I think the opportunity for education uh, companies is that the districts themselves have laid out these incremental plans. So that's one thing. And you can target them based on what they're spending. One of the other things I would say is that we, we hear repeatedly, the plans got disclosed very publicly. It all looked from the outside like everyone at the district should know about this because it was part right. of the website, all that kind of stuff. 
one sure. of the things that we find is that we, we find from people who work with our data when we send it to them is they will say, yeah, you know, we're talking to a lot of people that didn't know the plan had their, their pro that they didn't know that in this, their initiative was in the plan. So they would go to say someone who was director of early childhood or someone uh, in charge of the, the math program. And they would say, you know, there's a bunch of money in ESSER put on the website. And they would say, no, I had a little, tr they would, and they would say they didn't know that. I had a little trouble believing that the first time I heard it. And then I heard it about 10 more times from different wow. clients. And I was like, okay, I, I guess this is. So it actually becomes a tool, even just having the tool becomes a plan, not just a targeting tool, but it also can be an education tool. The other thing that I'll say, and this is beyond what's in the plans, is that there's going to be a lot of iteration against this. There's going to be a lot of scrutiny against are these programs working. Right. And uh, this is, you know, we are a data company. We do not uh, start arguments about what should be happening or declare that what is happening isn't right. We just pre present what's happening. I will, but but in part of that, we do tend to see where there's bipartisan agreement because we see the same messages from, uh, we get covered in the press a lot and, we, and right. a lot of advocacy groups use our information. There is bipartisan agreement that this money should show results. And I do think that these districts are gonna, they're, first of all, they're thinking about that. Right. This is gonna be an accelerating trend that selling into these districts and being able to say that at the end of the program, you're going to be able to measure whether it worked and obviously ideally that it will work so that they can demonstrate that the resources were well spent. Makes a lot of sense. Now, I have heard in the past, and I'm not sure if you're able to verify this, and I, as you were speaking, I pulled up an example from, uh, as you alluded to, the school districts are posting the information on their websites, Channel View Independent School, uh, and here's their information and even have a presentation on the uh, ESSER discussion that they share. So yeah. that's impressive. You're quite right. And it's just a matter of doing your homework uh, to tap into these funds. As a Canadian company, in order to do business in the U.S., I understood uh, that you were required to have an address or a presence in the U.S. market. That it, is this that does that make sense? I, that's not a regulation that I would be familiar with, uh, so I can't I can't really say whether that's entirely true or not. I mean, right. I would imagine if they're I believe it selling, is. Yeah, it, well, if you're able to sell the school districts under normal conditions, I would think you'd be able to sell. I haven't I haven't heard that there's any particular strings attached to the ESSER money that wouldn't be attached to normal spending by school. So but I may be wrong. At, at this juncture, Dennis, where we're at currently, what um, what, percentage uh, what percentage would you estimate, would you estimate is currently available for EdTechs to tap into? So over 70% of the dollars have not yet been spent according to the records now there's a bit of a lag time and then obviously some districts may know what they want to do and we're just not there yet but there is certainly well over half the money is still in play and and i would and it's not my you know we we defer to our clients and they are the experts on how they operate but one of the things that's going to happen is these programs reach their second and third year they're going to, the districts are going to be deciding on best practices. And when you think about the long game, 
or the terminal value, meaning we want to work with this district for a long time, who's ever seen as the most effective and successful vendor for services in the next year and a half is the one who's going to be most likely to live, to, to be a part of their plans into the future. So I do think it's not just there's extra money, but I also think that there's this window around innovation that's occurring, still occurring. It's going to occur next summer. And again, you have two full summers left of this before there's uh, two, you know, over a year and a half of, of academic year. So there's plenty of not just money, but there's also time to prove that your solution belongs in the long-term uh, solution for a school district. Well, I, I appreciate that insight, Dennis. And I think that, uh, you know, when we're talking about digital transformation and innovation, there's been some great solutions that have come on the scene, you know, pre-COVID and supported learning in a crisis uh, during COVID and beyond. And it's truly a great opportunity for companies to, to make an impact. Right. At the end of the day, it's true, truly about helping teachers help students thrive and reach their full potential. And the more yeah, and evidence think, you bring to the equation, the more successful you'll be. I think that as many as you and many of your, your viewers would know, the NAEP scores that came out, you know, there's plenty of evidence that districts that were more virtual uh, than others in, during COVID suffered a bit more, particularly as it relates to children of certain economic backgrounds. However, every state suffered ba ba backslid. This is not a situation right. where XYZ state is okay. And so therefore, and, and part of it, and, and among many other things, even places where schools were open during most of COVID, students could opt not to come in. Like in Florida, you had cities that were open every day for, for learning, but you had almost half the students in some of these districts decided they wanted to be remote because of COVID. So you've got plenty of disruption that even the most successful districts and operating schools were uh, uh, trying to recover from. What does that mean? It means back to what I said before, I think this is a bipartisan issue, academic excellence. And uh, it is not about, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's almost very, and, it, and, everyone, and everyone seems to agree that testing is a way to make sure whether you're successful and the, the, the type yeah. of testing i don't necessarily i don't necessarily mean standardized testing but i just mean results that can be measured concretely and again that appears to be something of a bipartisan issue there's going to be different levels of innovation and school choice and things like that depending on the state and the local political environment but i think there's a real um agreement on the need to invest in public education regardless of how you think COVID should have been handled. With that, thank you so much for your time this afternoon, Dennis Roche. And the, your insights are greatly valued and appreciated. Thanks a lot for having me. That was Dennis Roche, the co-founder of Burio, a hyper-local event content subscription product service, a media company, my name is Robert Marglanchi of the Mindshare Learning Report. Be sure to check out W Mindshare Learning to get your latest issue. And until next time, stay healthy, stay safe, and kick the learning curve steep.